Hey everyone, I'm sorry I can't be together with you this morning, but I'm traveling out of town for the funeral of a close family friend whose daughter died by suicide. I wish I could be there because over these next two weeks, we want to roll out the vision for communal formation that's informing the schedule change beginning October 8th. So today, and next week, we're going to be talking about this vision for communal formation through teaching. That's the 930s, new 930 slot. And next week, we're going to be talking about the vision for communal formation through worship. That's at our new 1030 slot. And today, these two components are meant to uh, reframe or inform this holistic approach to our time together on Sunday mornings. Connecting Sunday mornings to how... We practice our spirituality as individuals and as a worshiping community. So I encourage you all to catch up by listening to this message this week or next week and come next week with your questions or observations and notes uh, because we'll have a time to do some Q&A after the service next Sunday. Uh, if you want to read more or catch up on some of that, go to wcfchurch.org news and take a look at some of our Elder Corner blog posts that write up some of the things that inform the changes. So today we're going to do this in two parts. I'm going to do the first part and Rich is going to share the second part on behalf of the elders. I'm going to look at the theology for communal formation based on Colossians 3 that was read for us just a few moments ago. So Colossians 3 paints a picture for communal formation. Colossians 3 is this continuation of an argument that Paul, is, uh, Paul begins in chapter 2. And just to take a step back, the Colossian church is this diverse church made up of Jewish converts to Christianity, but also pagan converts. And they were being confronted with this teaching that was casting doubt on the sufficiency of the good news of Jesus. And how, whether or not that was sufficient for their relationship with the living God of love. And so they were countering some teaching that was coming into the church. And so that's the context for Colossians. And it was, again, diverse ethnically, socioeconomically, and spiritually. And, and so it begins, uh, we're going to walk through this in three very quick parts. One is this new identity and new life in Christ. And these new practices that Paul is advocating for. And finally, with this vision for a new life in Christ and what that looks like. So, in verse 11, Paul talks about how there is no longer Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, or slave. And these are all just, but that Christ is all and in all. That's the grounding, uh, def, uh, defining factor for one's new identity in Christ. That argument begins actually back in two verse 20, where he's saying, if we are made alive in Christ, and in Christ we have died to what he calls in that section, worldly elements or elemental spirits of the world. Now, he uses other language or phrases to describe that life, like the life of the flesh, life of sin, but all that's to say, like, there's a comparison and he's saying, don't jump into a new set of rules and regulations that don't reflect our new life in Christ. In Paul's words in this chapter, he says, they don't have any value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
Instead, that's the beginning of chapter 3. It says, seek the things that are above. Why? Verse 3, he answers it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, what Paul is saying, because you have new life, because you have a new identity in Christ, don't go on merely replacing one set of ethics with another set of ethics to live by. That does happen. But if you just take one and apply it to the other, you're missing out on the power and the new life that you have in Christ. Don't just do a fashion makeover with your ethics without understanding your new identity, your power, and the heart that you have in Christ. Because that won't work. What you have is new life, a new source of life, a new power to live according to that life as an image bearer of God. Another way to put it is live an unhyphenated identity in Christ. That's what verse 11 basically identifies. Our new life, our new identity in Christ means that we can drop our hyphenated identities as these core markers for our lives. In verse 11, Paul describes how the Colossian church is no longer Gentile versus Jewish. That's describing ethnic boundaries, circumcised versus uncircumcised, describing religious markers for identity, or where you stand in the social hierarchy, whether you're free or slave. These We can translate some of these to some maybe our, some of our contemporary hyphenated categories. Some of us use conservative Christian or progressive Christian. Some of us identify as evangelicals or we refuse to identify as evangelicals. Some of us on the sexual conversation on sexuality identify as traditional versus affirming. Some of us might identify as Republican Christians or Democratic Christians. These are all hyphenated identity categories. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't hold differing values and perspectives as Jesus followers, but we don't hold those differences over other Jesus followers as a sign of our holiness or status before God. Because when we do so, we are simply falling back to a life, in Paul's words, quote, in the flesh or according to the elemental spirits of the world, the phrase he uses in chapter 2. Simply remember, our identity is that Christ is all and in all. All who have responded to the good news of Jesus have the resurrected Christ living in us. And that power to live the new life comes from him. Again, we can recognize our differences. We can hold differences, but we don't hold our differences over others. Our new life in Christ leads to a different way of living. It leads to practicing new life together. And Paul uses, describes this by using the phrase put off or put away and put on in the middle section of the chapter that, of the passage we just read. In verses three, uh, 5 to 9, he talks about put to death or put away all these vices reflecting the old life or the life of the flesh. Put off, in verse 9, he says, put off the old self with its practices. See, our former identity informs how we live. Instead, verse 10, he says, put on the new self. And this new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Knowledge. And it's also being renewed after the image 
of its creator. So therefore, we practice putting on this next set of virtues, verse 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. And if you take a note at these list of virtues, they are meant to be practiced and developed communally. How do you practice compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another, forgiving one another if one has a complaint against another? How do we practice those things? We can't do those things alone. We can't do these things in isolation and without regular relationship. For example, you can't practice forgiving someone if you aren't in a relationship with someone to be offended by them. You can't you, you develop patience and bearing with one another. You can't do those things with strangers. Well, you can do them to a very limited degree, but it develops most patience and bearing with one another develops most with those people who annoy you the most, with those who know how to push your buttons. And that only happens in regular, consistent relationship. And finally, verse 14 puts on the, Paul says to put on love above all. You can't put on love in DMs and text messages and emojis behind a screen in the same way that you put on love sitting with someone who is grieving, being in the room with someone who is wrestling with questions in their life and trying to make sense of things, someone who's lonely, someone who's frustrated. We put on love in those situations. Paul describes, put off, put on, put off, put on. This is all formation language. It's not knowledge language. In light of our new identities because of Christ and our new life in Christ, we have the power and the ability to live and move about differently in the world. Which leads us to the final few verses of this passage, where Paul uses the phrase, let the, let the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 15, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. In verse 17, he doesn't use the word let the, but that's what he's implying. Do everything, word and deed, in the name of the Lord. And a couple of weeks ago, we, were, we learned about how in the name means in line with or in the character, in the character of God revealed in Christ. All this let the phrases that Paul uses are describing a vision for what it means to be a new person made in Christ. It's a it's becoming language, if we use kind of contemporary language. Who are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? What kind of people as a community are we becoming? Respected neuropsychiatrist Dan Siegel describes this research of longevity and medical and mental health and happiness and even wisdom, saying that these all point to supportive relationships as the most robust predictor of these positive attributes in our lives across our lifespan. Those are his words. Loving relationships, in other words, alter the brain most significantly. The language of neuroscience seems to confirm the formation process that happens when we relate deeply and meaningfully with others and with God. 
in this chapter, how do we live out this Christ-forming life? Through communal formation. In these one another phrases, and we find in verses 13 and 16, bear with one another, forgive one another, teach and admonish one another. You see, following Jesus is not meant to be a solo endeavor. Your spirituality is meant to be practiced in relationship with the body of Christ. And not just with the parts of the body of Christ that you like or that you feel comfortable with. When Jesus' followers gather regularly together using the language of neuroscience uh, or using the language of Colossians, when we learn from God's words together, it changes us. We become different people. We grow more into the likeness of Christ, which is really the goal of Christian spirituality. New life in Christ leads us to put off old ways and to put on new ways of living that better reflect the call to bear God's image in the world. And we practice putting off and practice putting on through regularly gathering with one another. So now I've quickly laid out the scriptural foundation for communal found formation. The elders, Rich, one of them, uh, Rich, is going to come forward and share how this vision for communal formation through teaching is going to look like practically beginning October 8th.